the book of the Bible that we are going to be looking at this morning is one, it, we're going to be reading a story that's familiar to the kids. I'm sure it's going to be familiar to just about every young person in this room. Although, I got to tell you, this last week I found out that um, sometimes you think that people are familiar with the Bible or familiar stories in the Bible. It's not, it's not so much the case anymore. I was at one of my daughter's soccer practices this past week, and I had dropped her off, and I had decided to stay, and I had brought a, um, a commentary with me to do some study while I was there, just to do some, some light reading and Old Testament commentary. And one of my daughter's friends on the team was having a migraine headache, and so she couldn't participate. And this is a girl who I used to coach for a number of years, and now she's on this other team. And she came up and sat, I was sitting on a hill overlooking the practice, this is in Waukesha, it's kind of at, 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 um, at Waukesha South, and so if you've ever been to Waukesha South, it's kind of elevated, you can see like a, a long ways when you're sitting on the top of a hill. It's just a, kind of a nice place to just sit down and relax, and she came over and sat next to me, and we started talking. We have a good relationship. I've, like I said, I was her coach for a long time, and um, she trusts me. So she, we started talking and things, and I, I prayed for her, her headache and, and everything, and then I said to her... Um, I'm studying Jonah right now. I just thought I'd tell her, I'm studying Jonah. She's like, who's Jonah? I said, you know, Jonah. Jonah and the fish, Jonah from the Bible. She had no idea what I was talking about, none whatsoever. She's never heard of Jonah, never heard the name. And it just reminded me that we're, we're growing up in a post-Christian culture where my, my oldest daughter's 13, and, and, and most of our teenagers today are, are, belong to a generation that is completely unchurched and completely unfamiliar with the Bible. Even the most familiar stories in the Bible. And so I had the opportunity, and I said, well, I said, well let me tell you about Jonah. I, I sat there. I didn't have my Bible with me, but of course I had been reading the, the whole, I've been reading the book of Jonah over and over again all week. It's only 48 verses. And so the, the story was very fresh in my mind, and I just shared with her a few minutes about Jonah. And about Jonah's relationship with God, Jonah's relationship with the Ninevites, Jonah's relationship with the sailors. And I just shared from my heart. And, and it was just like one of the best conversations we've ever had. And I, I've, you know, her family's been over to my house a bunch of times. And I've known her for, for a few years. And it was the most meaningful conversation we've ever had was right there. And I, I, I wasn't like ready for it, but it was the total God thing. And it was just a great, it was probably one of the best things I did all week to prepare for today was to share with this 13-year-old girl who'd never heard the story before. I mean, imagine telling the story of Jonah to someone who's never heard the story in their entire life. It, it helped me think through how I talk about Jonah. Because I don't want to assume, you know, sometimes we just assume people know what's going to happen next or why that happened. Or, and the, the book of Jonah, honestly, is, is very complex. There's a lot going on, and sometimes we take that for granted. We think we know everything there is to know about Jonah, and I'm telling you, you don't. You don't know everything there is to know about Jonah. And I, I, I remember just thinking when I was, I was talking to her, I can't believe you've gone through, through your whole life so far without knowing the story. Because if you know this story, if, if, you, if you're familiar with the book of Jonah and you believe that it happened, it's going to change your life. It's going to change the way you think about God. It's going to change the way you think about yourself. It's going to change the way you think about the world around you. Just this one story. And that's my hope for you as we begin to dive into this, no pun intended, as we begin to dive into this wonderful Old Testament book this morning. I'm going to read to you the first chapter of the first 17 verses, I just want you to, 
to take this in as it happened. I'm going to read it together from Jonah chapter 1. And by the way, the book of Jonah is not easy to find. It's, it's, it's somewhere in your Bible. I don't know what page. If you go to the, the book of Matthew, maybe the New Testament, and work your way backwards a little ways, you'll find it. It's about, I think it's six or seven books before Matthew. And this is what we read. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, Oh, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. That's God's word. Now, I don't know if you know this, but it is not easy to hear from God. It is not easy to hear from the Lord. Back in 2004, I was on a missions trip in another country with a group of students from my church. And there was this one day, and I'll never forget it, there was this one day we were gathered together in this room, and, and it was just our group of students, but there was a couple staff leaders there kind of leading us through a devotional, and the whole thing was about how to hear God. And so they, they taught us, or they taught our students about how to hear God's voice. They kind of taught us how that works. And then they sent us off to go to a solitary place and listen to God, and then the idea was that we were all going to come back together and share what God had said to us, and then do what God had said to do. Because anytime God speaks, he's acting. That's what we, we know this about God. When he speaks, he's doing something. And so it seemed easy enough, and, 
And we all split off, and we went to find a solitary place around the campus where we were staying. It wasn't a, it wasn't a campus. Like, it wasn't nice. <laughs> Don't get the wrong idea. This wasn't like some co- nice college campus. But, and so I, I, I remember this. I, I sat down, and, and I had my Bible out, and I, I, I read the Word. I was praying. I was meditating. I was, I was asking God to speak. I, I was pouring out my heart to God, just waiting for God to show me something and, and pleading with Him. And I didn't hear anything. And it was, I wasn't hearing for an audible voice or, or looking for a vision or anything, but I was just, you know how, you just know when God's speaking to you. And, and I, I prayed and prayed and nothing. And before I knew it, an hour had passed. And so I decided, you know what, God, you must not be ready to share anything with me today. So I closed up my Bible. I went back to the room and I was thinking, you know, I'm just going to sneak in the back and so no one notices so that I don't have to go through the embarrassment of announcing that, I, your spiritual leader, has spent an hour with God and heard nothing. And so I went back to the room and I opened the door and everyone else was already in there. They had been waiting for me for like 20 or 30 minutes. They were all looking at me like, whoa, he totally heard from God. And even the staff leader, I remember he looked right at me and he said, wow, I bet you have something to share. I was like... (laughs) And I I remember thinking, man, you're going to be really disappointed when it's my turn to share. And and, and so it's not easy to hear from, I mean, I wanted to hear God, believe me. I wanted more than anything to hear from God. I wanted to stand up in that moment and say, listen, everybody, God told me this and let's go. And I couldn't say that. And here's something I've, I've learned since then. God does not speak to us when it's convenient for us. He doesn't do that. He does not speak when it's convenient. And I also know this, that when God speaks, he means to accomplish something. He doesn't make small talk. When God speaks to you, he's about to do something. He's about to change your life. And that's why when we get to this, these first couple of verses of Jonah, and we hear that God spoke right to Jonah, and he spoke directly to Jonah and told him exactly what to do, it is shocking that he gets up and leaves. He says nothing to God. Instead, he gets up and he runs away. That is shocking. I mean, just think about this. Have you ever, can you imagine the God of the universe speaking to you by name? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine speaking to the God of the universe and him hearing you? That's called prayer, right? That's what we have. This This is how intimacy with God works. Intimacy with God is the most precious thing that we have, and Jonah is running from it. He's running from his relationship with God. God is speaking to him out of love and grace. And Jonah's saying, no thanks, I don't want that. He runs away. And and that should really shock us. Because of how precious and awesome it is to be able to speak to the God of the universe. And for the God of the universe, the creator of everything, to speak to you. To actually speak to you. I wonder if that's happened to some of you. Has God ever spoken to you, but you didn't like what you heard? Maybe God has spoken to you. Maybe God had told you to forgive someone, and you weren't ready to forgive them. Or maybe God told you to confess something to someone you weren't ready to confess. Or he told you to give something you didn't want to give, or to go somewhere you didn't want to go, or to do something you just didn't want to do. And whenever God speaks to us in that way, we have a choice. We can either... Say yes 
and go and, and give and do, do the thing, or we can run. And maybe some of you are thinking, well, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm running, but I'm just not ready. You know, we're, you're waiting to do the thing or to say the thing until it's convenient. That's running. It's the same thing. How do we run? We run by not forgiving. We run by not confessing. We run by not giving and not going. That's what we do. And what does God do when one of his children is running from him? What does God do? He sends a storm. He sends a storm. And I want you to notice that there is absolutely no change in Jonah's life until God sends the storm, and it's a violent storm that threatens his life and the, life, the lives of the people with him. It's a violent storm. Remember what we were talking about before, before the offering, that God's love breaks the power of sin? This is, this is that. God sending the storm is, is that. And a new theme begins to emerge from chapter 1, and it's fear. And in verses 4 and 5, this is what, this is what uh, the author said. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid. And each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. So we read about fear in verses 4 and 5. In verses 8 through 10, we read about fear again. The sailors asked Jonah, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Jonah said, I'm a Hebrew and I worship. That, that word can be translated fear as well. I worship or fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. This terrified them. Now they're terrified. And they asked, what have you done? Again, in verses 15 and 16, they take Jonah, they throw, him over, they throw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. I don't know if you saw this when we went through those verses, but think about this. In verses 4 and 5, God sends a storm, the sailors are afraid. In verses 10 and 11, the storm gets bigger. The sailor's fear gets bigger. But then in verses 15 and 16, the storm goes away, and they're, they have the worst fear of all. <laughs> when, when God said they, they greatly feared, in the original language there, that's like emphatic. Like that's, the mo that's double fear. Doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? How do you explain that? Well, we know that they're not afraid of the storm anymore. The storm's gone. We know they're not afraid of Jonah anymore. He's in, the, he's in the sea. They're not afraid of their circumstances or surroundings anymore. What happened? They fear the Lord. That's what happened. They feared God. I want to talk about the fear of God for a minute. Because sometimes, just as we were talking about before, Sometimes the fear of God, we mis we mistake, sometimes we mistake the love of God for punishment, and so we ha we're like afraid of God. That's not the fear of the Lord. I want to share a, verse, a couple verses with you from the book of Psalms. Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. 
It's not God's wrath that causes this fear. It's God's forgiveness that brings about this fear. In other words, to fear God is not to be afraid of God. To fear God should never cause us to run and hide from God. It should actually cause us to run towards God. If you really fear God, you should be running towards him. Because to fear God is to be aware of God's holiness and his power and his compassion so much so that you feel small and, and, and weak in his presence. You, you feel like you desperately need him. That's what the fear of God does to, to someone. It makes us long for God to be with him. When you fear God, you realize that you're nothing apart from God and that you need him more than you need anything else in this world. When you fear God, you will want to be in his presence. Real fear always leads to humble obedience and worship of God. That's what, real, that's what true fear of God leads us to, humble obedience and worship. And so here's Jonah's problem. He's lost the fear of God. The sailors on the ship fear God properly. Jonah doesn't. He thinks he's better than these pagan sailors. He's down below deck. He doesn't care what's, going, what's happening to them. He's asleep. He's not interested in obeying God and going to Nineveh and preaching against these, the, you know, these utterly wicked, violent people of Nineveh. He thinks he's above them. He's not ready to humble himself and obey God. He feels no desire to go to people who are far from God. He thinks his faith is private and exclusive. He feels no compassion for wicked people. And I want to tell you something this morning. If, if we don't fear God, we will not ache for the people who are lost without God. We will not ache for people who are lost in their sin. Our heart will not go out to them. We will not identify with them. We will think we're better than them. We might fear them, actually. We might fear those people. We shouldn't. We should fear God. We might be indifferent to those people. But God is not indifferent to his enemies. God, if you fear God, you will love what God loves. You know what God loves? God loves people. He loves his enemies. He is pursuing people who are far from him. Don't you remember how far? You were one of those people. <laughs> Maybe you are. And God is running for you. And God has called Jonah to go to the most wicked people on earth and preach against them out of his compassion. And Jonah wants nothing to do with it. And so God does something amazing here. He uses bad people to shock the preacher out of his sleep. <laughs> he uses wicked people to wake up a prophet. Jonah thinks he's above these guys, but he actually makes them look good right here, doesn't he? Jonah makes the sailors look good. He makes the people of Nineveh look good. He makes the fish look good. He makes everybody look good in this story. Jonah is the, in the, in the book of Jonah, Jonah is the most messed up person. <laughs> And he's the prophet. He's the preacher. He's the most moral person in the story. He's the most religious person in the story. And he's the furthest from God. Listen to this quote by Rosemary Nixon. She said, The, un the unsung sacrifice made by many dedicated and unbelieving international aid workers 
is a challenge to comfortable Christians who may prefer only to sing about God's love. Think about that for a minute. There are people in this world who have rejected God, but they seem to have more compassion and more love and more willingness to help those in need than some of God's people do. Isn't that true? Ours is not a private faith, my friends. It is not a private faith. Our faith is given, our faith in God, the love of God that the Holy Spirit pours out into us is not meant to stay inside you. It is meant to flow out from you. To reach people everywhere. The most wicked people. (laughs) And here's what I want you to see. Is that Jonah, by running from God, he thinks he's running to freedom. He thinks that if he can escape his calling and resist God's authority and avoid God's presence, that he'll be free to live the life he wants to and that he will be in control. That's what he thinks. And nothing could be further from the truth. And here's why. You can run from God. You can do it. You can try. You can run from God for a day, for a week, for months. You can run from God for years. But you will never outrun God's compassion. You will never find a place that is outside the reach of God's love. Ever. You can't outrun God. Nobody can. And the only way you will ever be free is to stop running. And Jonah, in the storm, in the storm, Not when the storm stops, not when he gets thrown into the sea, not when he gets swallowed by the fish. But in the middle of this hurricane, he stops running and he embraces his true identity. Listen to what he said in verse 9. He finally finally owns up to his calling. He says, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And then he he tells the sailors, he says in verse 12, pick me up and throw me into the sea. He replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. You know what he's saying? He's saying, he's looking at these sailors. He sees that they're lost, that they're terrified. They have no hope. And he comes to the conclusion that you shouldn't be dying because of me. I should be dying because of you. And then in verse 17, of course, they threw him overboard. And it says, but the Lord provided a great fish. To swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. That's freedom, my friends. Did you know that? That Jonah going overboard and being swallowed by the fish is God's way of setting him free. It's a pretty nasty way of finding freedom, but that's what it is. Some of you have stories like that, not just like that, but just you went through something nasty, and on the other side of it, because God intervened in your life, you found true freedom that you never had before. And I've heard so many stories from people in this church and from people in my life who've said, you know what, I was going this way in life and my life was starting to come apart. But God. Those two words are somewhere in all of our stories. But God. God never gave up on me. He didn't let me go. He stopped me. He, he, He... Threw some crazy storm into my life. 
and it hurts. It was painful. I lost almost everything but God. And there was freedom on the other side of that. I mean, think about this story. Jonah's as good as dead, but God. You were as good as dead, but God. God's compassion is limitless. He not only shows mercy to these sailors and, and, the, and, and to the city of Nineveh, the, the most rebellious and violent people on the earth, but he also shows mercy to the most stubborn, messed up person in the story, Jonah, the preacher. See, because some people read the story of Jonah and they see the fish coming in and swallowing Jonah and they think that's punishment. That's not punishment, my friends. That's rescue. That's rescue. He was going to drown. I believe we'll learn more about that next week. I mean, don't you realize that the worst thing that God could have done to Jonah is to leave him alone? That is the worst thing God could have done to Jonah, is leave him alone and let him run and give him what he wanted. But God doesn't leave him alone. This is a storm of God's compassion. This is the furious longing of God for his servant and for his people. Now, there was another prophet that talked about Jonah in the New Testament. And by the way, well, let me read you the verse first. In Matthew 12, verses 40 to 42, the prophet Jesus Christ speaks these words. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And now one greater than Jonah is here. That's Jesus. Now this, by the way, is exactly where my conversation with my 13-year-old soccer player went. This is, this is exactly what we talked about. Because it has to. Jonah is not simply a story about a prophet who runs from God and gets swallowed by a fish. That is not what Jonah is really about. Jonah is about Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm not going to finish the story. You know, I got to the end of the story with this 13-year-old girl. What am I going to say? Uh, be like Jonah? No. No, don't be like Jonah. What am I going to say? Don't be like Jonah? Listen to God. Follow God. You could say that, but that's not really the point. <laughs> what does it mean that one greater than Jonah is here? Here's what I think it means. Jonah's willingness to be thrown into the wrath of God to save a bunch of sailors is meant to point us to a greater prophet, Jesus of Nazareth, the chosen one of God, the Son of Man. Because when God sent Jesus to wicked men and women, he did not stay silent and run in the opposite direction. The writer of Hebrews tells us that when Jesus came into the world, he said, Here I am. I've come to do your will, O God. Knowing that what God's will would be, that it would lead to an excruciating death, humiliating death. Jesus Christ did not keep his faith to himself. When wicked people came to Jesus, he didn't turn them away. He didn't run away. He touched them. He spoke with them. He healed them. When Jesus saw a crowd of thousands upon thousands of people, at the end of an exhausting day, Jesus' disciples said, hey, Lord, let's send them away. We've had a long day. They should probably get something to eat. That's not what Jesus said. That's not what Jesus did, I should say. 
Jesus said, why can't we feed them? Jesus looked upon the crowds, and what does the text tell us? He had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. He saw the crowds, he saw hurting, hungry people, and he spent himself on them. He taught them, he healed them, he fed them, he loved them. And then on the cross, Jesus threw himself under the waves of God's wrath. Jonah ran from the presence of God. Jesus on the cross took our punishment for sin as God removed his presence from his only son. Jonah sunk down into the darkness of the sea and was rescued. But Jesus sunk down on the cross in darkness, enduring the judgment of God instead of us, and no one came to his rescue. He hung there, condemned and utterly alone, and he died so that you and I could be set free. And three days later, he rose again. And that's what was in God's heart when he was writing Jonah. Jesus, dying for the sin of God's people, wicked people like us, God's enemies, so that we could be in God's family and have peace with God forever. And three days later, vindicating his son as he emerged from the tomb. In glory, that's what Jonah's about. And that's what I got to share with this girl. And and we got to talk about Jesus. Because that's the point. That's the point of, of the story of Jonah. It's the point of my story. It's the point of your story. Have you been changed by the compassion of Jesus Christ? By the resurrection power of Jesus Christ? which is able to break the hold of sin in your life and make you a completely new person. That's the gospel. That's why we're here. So here's what I, want, here's what I know about running, and I want to close with this today. When we run from God, we're always running to something else. We are. And I want to tell you that When you run away from the strongest, most secure, most holy, most faithful, most generous, most joyful, and most loving being in the universe, you're not going to arrive somewhere better and safer. It's not going to happen. Never. You will never run from God and run to a place that is safer and more fulfilling and more satisfying and more happy and more powerful than the presence of God. It doesn't exist. You're going to end up in a place where you're exposed. That's what's going to happen. You're going to be exposed. And then what always happens next is this. And you'll you'll discover, and maybe not right away, but eventually you'll discover that life away from God's presence is not as good as you thought it would be. In fact, you'll, you'll experience a storm when you run from God and your life is going to start to unravel. Why is that? Because when we, when we run from God, we end up making bad decisions. We always do. Why do we make bad decisions? Because we've chosen to run away from the one being in the universe who holds all the wisdom and all the discernment and all the power in his hands. And we've chosen to run away from that. So you are going to make bad choices. And there will be consequences for those choices. And you can run away from those consequences, but if you're God's child, you won't get very far. You just won't. And God will bring those consequences to your doorstep, and it's not to pay you back, it's to bring you back. It's because he loves you. It might feel like punishment, it might feel like pain, 
but it's love. That's what it is. It's, it's the love of a father. And then, of course, what always happens when you run is you hurt the people close to you. You're, you always do. And you wish you could go back and do things over again because when you finally decide to stop running, you see that there's been collateral damage. And you, and you, <laughs> and you always end up paying for that damage and the people, you lo- the people who love you, they pay too. Nobody gets away with it. But when God brings consequences, remember this. It's not to pay you back. It's to bring you back. And that should amaze us. It should cause us to say, God, why? Why? Why do you want me back? Why are you so good? And when we start asking God those questions, that's the fear of God welling up in your heart. When you understand, God's, that you, God is giving you what you don't deserve. Grace. Compassion. Does any of this sound familiar? I mean, come on. This has got to sound familiar. To, I, I got to tell you, this is, sounds so much like my story. I, I want to tell you, Cross Point Church is full of runners. I know this because I've talked to many of you. I've heard your story. I know this is very much how it went. In fact, I'm going to prove it to you, and you guys got to back me up on this, Okay. How many of you can say this? And if if you can say this, I want you to raise your hand real high. Somewhere in my past, I ran from God. I know what it's like to run from my God-given purpose in life. How many of you can say that? See what I mean? This church is full of people who have turned their backs on God and run away from him because God pushed them too far you know, maybe out of your comfort zone or whatever it was, and you thought you could find something better away from God's presence. And you know what? You found out you were wrong, didn't you? You found out that God's compassion is way bigger than you thought it was. God's love for you is way deeper than you thought it was, and that's why you're here, right? So I want you to know something today. Now I'm going to talk to those of you who are running from God right now. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, okay? You, you don't, I'm not going to put you on the spot. But how many of you can say, I am running from God right now, but I don't want to anymore? I'm ready to stop running. I'm ready to surrender. I want to, if that's you, I want to tell you something today. Surrender is your only good option. You can keep running for as long as you want, but guess how, guess what you're going to find? Guess what you're going to find? More of the same. More of the same, more dissatisfaction, more chaos, more storms, more loneliness, more emptiness, and less freedom. Until you surrender and let God worry about the consequences. You're just going to keep running. And so I want to pray for you this morning as we close out this message. And I want to challenge you that if you are running and you're ready to stop, I, I would just challenge you this morning to please talk to me. Please talk to me. Or talk to the person you came with. Talk to someone you trust. Talk to someone you saw up here today, someone on the worship team. Just please talk to someone because we would like to help you 
to help you come back. That's what we're here to do. We're here to help you stop running. There's no use. You can't outrun God. Let today be the day that you stop. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for stories like this, for, for actual historical accounts of your activity in the world with your people, with your prophets, with your servants, even with, with, with entire wicked cities. God, we're amazed at what you've done. So much of what we do here as a church is just coming together and remembering what it is you've already done and then just praising you for it. And that's what we're here to do today, God. We're here to praise you for what you did in the life of Jonah and, and, and just how awesome and limitless your compassion is. And I pray, God, that you would open our hearts to you today and that you would soften our hearts, God, and, and for those people who are running from you. God, you are bigger than our sin. There's nobody here who can outrun you, God. And I pray, Father, that you would, that you would bring a storm into their life if that's what it's going to take for them to surrender to you. And, and I, don't, I don't like seeing people go through pain, God, and you don't either. You do not rejoice in the suffering. You don't rejoice in the punishment of the wicked. You don't, you don't take pleasure in seeing people suffer, God. But you know our suffering. You are acquainted with suffering. You are acquainted with grief. You know our plight, Lord. You know our pain. And God, so often, so many times, you, you bring pain and you bring storms and chaos into our life, God, so that we will wake up to your presence and so that we can see you for who you really are, that you are loving and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in mercy, and full of grace. And I pray, God, that today, wherever we're at, wherever anyone is at here, that we would stop and worship you, that we would stop and fear you, and surrender ourselves completely to you, God, so that we can be free and be in a relationship with you, a right relationship with you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.